So, uh, we're, we're in our last message about the home. And uh, uh, I realize there are a lot of situations today, more than in the past, more than when I grew up as a child. So, uh, please, uh, please uh, help me do the work of adapting what I would say to your situation. If you're a single parent, that's different. I'm going to talk about marriage today. So that's different than if you have a spouse. So you have, to, you have to compensate in different ways. But the principles are still the same. And so I believe it will be helpful to you. Let's get into it today. Today is called Four Keys to Discipling Your Children. Uh, all the obligations of parenting are met when we train our children to follow Christ. Now that doesn't mean that people who don't follow Christ can't also raise amazing children. You know that's not, you know that's true. But if they're raising, uh, if they're doing, um, their, if they're functioning properly, you can find what they're doing in the scripture. They don't know it, but you can. So we're blessed, and by God's grace, you're in a place today where you can find out about this textbook for life called the Bible and how to use it to to, dis, to disciple your children. Now, we're, going, we're not going to talk about how to disciple your children. I should correct that. We're going to talk about four keys. So today is not about how to do it. There will be some how-tos in there. But today is about how to set yourself up for the best results. And um, uh, there's two amazing scriptures in the Bible that are probably the most important scriptures, or at least the most prominent, that Christians will talk about. If, you, if you're new to the church, new to Christianity, or new to this, this version of Christianity. Uh, and one is called the Great Commandment, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it, your neighbor is yourself. That's called the Great, we call that the Great Commandment. The second thing that you'll hear Christians talk about, and the church talk about, is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, and uh, I'm going to have them throw it up on the screen. It says, uh, uh, go into all the world. I won't, I won't quote it exactly, but you can see. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every nation, making them disciples, teaching them to obey whatsoever I've commanded. I'll read it the, exactly the way it is here. Teach these new decrees, these new disciples, rather, to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if that applies to anyone in your life, it should apply to your children or your child. One thing is clear, and that we are not to be confined to the sayings in the four Gospels, though. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, would later write, all Scripture is profitable. Uh, when we become all Scripture parents, we know... Uh, we know that all Scripture addresses all the dimensions of life. So it's not just, just the story of Jesus or just the story of salvation, though it includes it. It's all dimensions of life. Uh, Ephesians 6.4 gives us a good jumping-off point today. Ephesians 6.4 says, Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. And you need to, the background of that is that was a culture that it was totally acceptable to mistreat children. In that culture, you could actually, you could actually kill, kill one of your children 
uh, and, and that was acceptable. So, that's, so that was radical for Paul to say that. Don't, don't, even, don't even raise them in such a way that they're angry all the time and frustrated all the time. The rest of it says, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction from the Lord. So we're not going to totally unpack what that instruction from the Lord totally means, but we know it means certain things, and it means it's, it's putting you as a parent in a position in your child's life, in a, in a unique position in your child's life. So, so let me tell you some things that I believe God is saying to us in these passages in the, that I've just read to you, and I'll read some more. I believe the number one thing that I want to say to you today is this means that you are to be mentor more than friend. Mentor more than befriend. Nothing wrong with being your child's friend. I hope you are your child's friend. I hope you do have a friendship relationship with your child. And as children get older, you do go a little bit more from being a parent. From being, you go a bit from being parent, discipler, mentor, to being friend. But uh, I believe it's a big mistake to focus on primarily my child is going to be my best friend. They're going to like me more than their peers and everybody else. Visions, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. No, notice it's, it says, direct your children. You, you're, you're, you're there to put them on a path that will launch them into life. You're not there to meet your emotional needs. A uh, good illustration of this, I believe, is my brother, Many of you have met my brother's son, uh, Isaiah. And uh, when Isaiah was much smaller than he is now, and he's, he's huge, he's about 6'5 now. Uh, when Isaiah was smaller, uh, one day Joe had the experience that we all hate, and that's when you're driving down the highway and you see blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror. And he had the blue lights were flashing in his rearview mirror, so um, I don't know if he was going too fast or what was going on, but he pulls over and as um, he sees the police officer getting out of his car, he turns to Isaiah, who's sitting in the passenger seat. And he said, hey, Isaiah, I want to show you how to respond to a police officer. Very important. Very important. I want to show you how to respond to a police officer. And he, my, my brother puts both hands on the steering wheel, turns and looks at the officers he puts in, and they say the things they always say. And uh, the officer says... Hand me, I want to see your driver's license. Kept his hands on the steering wheel and said, my brother said, well, well, sir, my driver's license are in my duffel bag in the back seat. May I reach for them? And the officer says, yes, you may. Gets his driver's license, hands, everything went smoothly. I don't think he got even cited that day. But see, that little story really defines what mentoring and discipling looks like. Uh, in the, here in the 21st century, the 20th century, in the 21st century, we mostly, we mostly think of learning as going to a class. We're going to have a discipleship class on Monday night or Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Th those are good. Uh, it's a good place to get information. It's a good place to get knowledge. But it's not a good place to get shaped. It's not a good place to get corrected. In fact, I, I heard a, a, a 
president of, a, uh, of Valley Forge University speak uh, um, this week, and he, his, his message was about discipleship. And this, what he said applies not just to people who come to church and Christians like you, adults. It applies to our children, especially applies to our children. And uh, he, he, he began to be puzzled by the passage, go and make disciples. What does that mean? He was determined to try to figure out what that meant. So he said, I, he said, I have access to scholars. So I went to several scholars that I know, and I asked them to go and research for me, go and make disciples, and come back and tell me what it meant. And uh, uh, they came back to him after several days or weeks. I don't know how long went by, but they came back. And with their answer, they said, here's our answer after much research and uh, looking, you know, delving into many resources. We have concluded that making a disciple is to lead people to do what Jesus did. And he was very disappointed. He thought it was going to be something more complicated than that. So how did Jesus make disciples? This will be helpful to every parent. How did he make disciples? Did he say, he catched a bunch of guys fishing? So did he go, we're going to have a discipleship class tomorrow night. I want you to sign up for the discipleship class. We're going to have a discipleship seminar. We're going to have a discipleship Zoom call. I want you to make sure you tune in. No. He said, follow me. They went. They hung out together. They did stuff together. They talked to people together. They walked around together. And uh, he would walk along. He would talk about birds and trees and stuff. And if they said something stupid, he would pull them aside. So that was stupid. That was dumb, what you just said. That's not true. Here's what's correct. You see, do you get my point? Discipleship happens in the flow of life. You're not being discipled if you're not doing life with anyone. I don't care how many classes you go to, how many books you read. If you're not doing life with anyone, you're not being discipled. Well, that's, that's a different sermon and a different sermon series. This discipleship method works great with children because you've got to be with them all the time. <laughs> And instead of just letting them drive you crazy, start looking for teaching moments. Something, I mean, if you're going to watch television with your kids, you're not going to, avoid, you're not going to have, avoid having moments when you need to stop the TV and say, here's what we really believe about that. Here's what's wrong with that. Or here's what's great about that. You know, that's in the Bible. That's exactly what Jesus said. And that's how simple it is to be a mentor to your children. It is finding and looking for teachable moments, some of their instruction, some of their inspiration. You know, inspiring your kids and telling them, you know, the, the way you treated that little boy or that little girl today, the way you shared your toys, the way you shared your snack, that really impressed me. You need to, you need to compliment Actions more than things like looks. I said you need to compliment actions that are Christ-like and beautiful, 
more than physical appearance. And it's okay to say you're cute. And You know, God made kids cute so we wouldn't kill them, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Here's a very sad verse of a guy who... And isn't it great? I get, I get great encouragement from the fact that the Bible was written by people who didn't get it all perfect. And they made some huge mistakes. I bet you wonder why I take encouragement from that. Moving along. 1 Corinthians 1, 5, 6. David's son of Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charters and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. We won't tell the rest of the story, but as you can imagine, it did not end well because David failed to discipline his son. He failed to see himself as his mentor. Uh, a biblical parent shaping role is so clear in Scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs 23:13, "Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them." And as the next line reveals, the rod of punishment did not merely mean, though it, it, it in some cases it did in the Bible, but uh, applying it today, you're not going to beat your kid with a rod. It's talking about physical consequences, pro- providing physical consequences that yes are uncomfortable and painful in order to shape their lives to the direction that God wants them to go. My child, if you're, physical discipline may well save them from death. My child, if your heart is wise, my own heart will rejoice. Everything in me will celebrate when you speak what is right. Listen, you are not your child's best friend. If you try to be your child's best friend, you are failing them. They need mentors. Mentors are not best friends. A mentor is primarily focused on making you a winner, not, making, not winning you over to them. Obviously, mentorship and friendship can go together. But have, 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 you ever, have you ever had someone in your life that you needed them as a friend and they just wanted to be a mentor? And that's very frustrating. When I needed someone as a friend, I needed someone who, 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 who kind of lets me get by with something once in a while. Someone who overlooks some things. Well, a mentor doesn't do that. So you need that. When you become a BFF, then you are positioning your child as the authority in the relationship, and that's out of order. Number one, children of every age need structure and guidance. They did an experiment, psychological experiment, several years ago, when in an inner city playground, which had a fence around it, the psychologist took away the fence to see what would happen, and the children all huddled in the middle of the playground. Because they needed someone to set boundaries. They felt safe and protected when they were boundaries, when there were boundaries. And they felt vulnerable when there were not boundaries. I know it's paradoxical, but if you will accept the fact that it that that it's saying discipling will not that verse I read a minute ago will not kill them, even though you will feel it is when you're when you're doing it, believe me. Secondly, adult relationships and peer relationships are different from parenting and mentoring relationships. The the boundaries between what is acceptable to share with your child are blurred when you try to be their BFF. 
Let's face it, there are some aspects of your life and relationships that your child shouldn't be a part of or know about even. You know, a relationship with your spouse or your partner, that's just one example. Your child shouldn't be your confidant. It's confusing for them. Thirdly, dependency disrupts the normal launching into life and emotional, emotionally away from the parent a mentoring relationship fosters. In other words, you're launching them to life away from you. You're moving them away from you. Not pushing them away, but moving them gradually away from you. If you, if you or your child become dependent on one another for a friendship, it can backfire. If there's a disagreement or a conflict, that friendship and that parental relationship can be destroyed. On the other hand, if you parent a child rather than make them your friend, the dependency is different. It's easier to manage uh, you, you can communicate more freely without fearing the consequences of, of having hurt feelings or destroying the friendship. In a friendship, the friend gets to have an equal voice in making the rules. And of course, uh, 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 that's been alluded to earlier, that you, the parent, become dependent on them for your happiness. When Jesus said to his parents, Why do you seek me? Did you know that I must be about my father's business? In Luke 2, 49... That's an interesting verse right there. Uh, by the way, when I read that verse, I thought of the fact that a lot of people think, well, in the past, uh, it was easy to keep track of children. Uh, but Jesus, the Son of God, disappeared for three days. And it was only on the third day that they thought to look at the church to see where he was. So uh, there's... There's a lot of other places they thought he probably was at rather than being down at the church hanging out with the pastors. <laughs> but then they found him at the church. And now he says, uh, kind of sounds kind of rude, right? He's 12 years old, by the way. He's 12 years old and he goes, why are you looking for me? I got to be about my father's business. I mean, in a lot of homes, that would bring a slap, right? But the we know that he wasn't uh, it wasn't, he wasn't normalizing rebellion because a few verses like, I think it's the next verse, he says, the Bible says he went down to Nazareth and was subject to them. So he wasn't, he wasn't normalizing rebellion. He was saying, though, he was saying, though, that, uh, that emotionally and spiritually, I, I will be relationally moving away from you into, into what God has for my life. And uh, you won't be the center of it. He, 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 and actually, he was the son of God, and your children are not the son of God <laughs> or the daughters of God. I just want to say, I know some of you think that, that your child is the son of God, but he's not, and she's not the, the daughter of God in the way that Jesus was. They're not the savior of the world. <laughs> Thank God, what a burden to brave the savior of the world. So the second thing I want to talk to you about today is love and I mean that. I mean, this is not at one, one bit of, of, of detracting from the need to love your children and tell them you love them and, and tell them how amazing they are and give them lots of, when, lots of hugs and kisses, especially when they're little, and a lot of, a lot of affection. You, you just can't give them too much affection. It's so important. So I'm not saying that's a problem. But don't, ide don't idolize or idealize it. We, we see that all the time. And I, I love this meme of a woman who's obviously idolizing and idealizing her child. This meme right here. This meme. Well, just imagine it, okay? 
just imagine a woman looking up adorably at her, her child. You know, I was thinking, it's funny, I, it's funny this happened. I mean, it's the second service, so I can go over time a little bit, right? So I, I was thinking, I hope somebody will go and uh, I hope somebody will go and, and, and do a video of all the stuff with live streaming that didn't work. You know, because I saw one the other day where a pastor was preaching online, and it was back when we didn't have anybody in the auditorium, so it was really stark, you know. And, and, and you really, boy, that's a lonely feeling when you're used to having people to talk to and you're talking to a camera. But this guy had a camera, I mean, had a camera, had a cannon, and it was supposed to go off at a certain time during his sermon, and it didn't, it just didn't go off. And he's like, and it was just, it was, it was funny. It was funny when you saw it. <laughs> but somebody needs to do bloopers and th- things that didn't work during the live streaming. We may have some here. I don't know. But that didn't work. It worked first. It was a great service. People thought it was hilarious. That, that picture that you didn't see. Oh, you did see it. Okay. I made too big a deal of it, didn't I? So if you ask a person, let's get back to the sermon. If you ask a person what is the most important thing in your life, if they don't say my kids, they're either not a parent or they're a Christian who knows they're supposed to say God and Jesus. I'm not saying that's a bad answer to say the most important thing in your life is your kids. But whenever you need to understand that you're entering a danger zone Whenever anything or any person is the most important thing in your life, because the natural tendency for you is to be able will be to make idols of them or idealize them. You will not and cannot mentor and disciple an idol because they're already perfect. And the Lord says, train your children. He said, train them. You know why he said that? Because they're untrained. They come to you untrained. They come to you cute, but untrained. A few years ago, in an essay in the New York Times, um, Ayelet Waldman, I believe is her name, explained that she loved her husband more than her four children. Now, following that publication of that essay, uh, she not only uh, was shouted down Oh, okay. Oh, that's fine. I was going to show you a video, but I guess we have technical issues. I can't show you the video. Um, but but uh, so, so I'll try to explain the best I can. So anyway, she wrote this article saying, I love my husband more than my four children. And uh, she was um, shouted down by the women of America who went crazy. Hate mail, people on the streets threatening to physically assault her for being a bad mother and strangers threatening to physically assault her and telling her that they were going to report her to Child Protective Services. This is not how a civil society conducts open-minded discourse, folks. (laughs) This is how a religion persecutes a heretic. So there is a movement out there, and I hope it's not in here, but it might be. There is a movement out there that, that considers a woman who would love her, children, her, her husband more than her children a heretic who needs to be burned at the stake. And uh, th- this got her not only a lot of hate mail, it actually got her on, uh, on Oprah 
where she explained very articulately, by the way, and I was going to show you the clip, and maybe I can get it to you later or something, but where articulately, uh, and you see the women, some of the women are, yes, that's right, and then some are horrified Then anyone would say, I love my husband more than my children. She explained, I really love my children. She explained, I love my children just as much as you do, but I, do, I, but I don't confuse my romantic affections and the person, she, she used a, a word that I hadn't heard in a while, ardor, the ardor and romantic affection and the one who captures my heart is still my husband. Now, I understand you're a single parent. You have to find a way to apply that. And I, I suggest that you, if you're a single parent, I suggest that you really, really make it more clear that you have friends that you care about and that you have a love of, for Jesus that is greater than your love for them. Now, they need you to hear that you love them, but it's not healthy when you replace your spouse with your children. That is not healthy. Uh, uh, besides idolizing our children, we also idealize them. Idolizing our children elevates our children. See, it elevates them above needing any shaping because they're already shaped. Idealizing imagines they cannot possibly need to change. And while I don't believe in the doctrine of utter depravity, I really don't. I'll explain that sometime day. Someday I'll tell you why I don't believe in utter depravity. But I, but I do believe what the psalmist David said in Psalms 51. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Proverbs 22:15. He goes on to say, a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. That's actually this is actually Proverbs 22:15. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. You see, here's the deal. You're supposed to, we, we, we married people, we married folks are supposed to spoil our spouses and train our children. Guess what we do? We spoil our children and try to train our spouse. How's that working out for you? Your spouse is already trained or, or untrained, whatever, however you got them. That's what they are. And you might make a few adjustments down then, and there's marriage counseling that can help. But if you want to have the type of family that's home designed by God, spoil your, spoil your spouse and, lo- and love your children and discipline them. All right? Pretty quiet in here. <laughs> One of the most tragic things, especially as people become more visible in the church, is often they seem to feel it is betrayal to admit to other Christians that things aren't going well with their child and call for prayer and counsel. It always shocks me when you find out some really heartbreaking thing that happened in a child's life of a prominent church member, uh, and you know when you learn it, that it's a situation that's been developing for a long time. And they came to service after service, never came forward for prayer, never mentioned to the other leaders that they were with that things weren't good for their child. See, see sometimes we, we, we have this mistaken idea. We have this mistaken idea that it's somehow very sinful not to like our children. <laughs> but it, it's normal Sometimes not to like your children. Because sometimes they're jerks. 
Now, what you do with that feeling of dislike is very important, by the way. Very important you not tell them, I don't like you. Very important you not articulate that. But it's okay to admit, my child's not being a good person today. And I might need to get some friends at the church to pray with me. I might need to get some counsel. I might need to get some prayer. It doesn't mean you're a bad person because your child is struggling. One of the things we did uh, here, Sherry and I did, we, we, we had people that we could, that our children could go to outside of us. We had people. And, and this is why the, 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 the grandparenting, I, I, the grandparenting role is so important. And, uh, and my, my friend Dennis Burrell was telling me the other day, he's going to a lot of churches. He goes to churches all over the country. He said, they keep talking about parenting and they don't ever talk about grandparenting. And I, I said, ouch, I'm, bad at, I'm, I'm, I'm failing at that too. But I'm going to do it, grandparents, I promise you. I'm going to talk about your role, because your role, especially what I'm preaching today, grandparents, your role is huge in this. Sometimes you will be the voice in their life to tell them about Jesus. Sometimes you will be the one to give them the correction that they need. Sometimes you will be the one, I mean, I think I saw Nan and Papa come in. Are you back there? Yeah, there you are. I mean, uh, 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 is Braden, Braden, are you here this morning too? I saw you come in, Braden. Braden, my grand. Oh, there you are, Braden. Uh, Braden's going over to Papa's house and helping him with projects. There's one thing, Papa, you know, Papa's a little bit older now and he's not able to do what he do, but he is not going to quit getting things done, even if he has to get someone else to do it. He's not going to stop having projects. He's not going to stop building stuff. So Braden is now his arms extended, you know. Braden is extending this part of his life and what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. So grandparents, grandparents, forgive me for not honoring properly the role that you have. And I have that role too. You know, I, 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 I love it. I, I, don't, I can go to side trail. It'll take me away for several minutes. I won't do it. But, uh, but it's so important. You are hugely, hugely a part of this process. And some of you have to be more than others See it as a gift from God, okay? <clears throat> Finally, number three, I would say this. Immerse in the stories of Scripture and the wisdom of God's Word. Someone said a high school dropout like me who repeats what the Bible says cannot be wrong. Even if you're not sure yet that the scripture is inerrant and infallible as I am and as this church officially is, even if you're not sure, you probably at least believe it's a book of wisdom, right? You probably at least believe it's a book of wisdom. And you know, I've, I've taken medicine that I didn't believe or didn't know it would work, but it worked. It, did not, it didn't fail to work just because I didn't have complete faith in it. And so the Word of God, start using it. Start discovering it for yourself and start using it. You don't have to have a scripture for everything. You don't have to quote a scripture every time you give a biblical principle. But eventually you want to get around to teaching your children the Word. Here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.5. And you must love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Learn that verse 
and figure out how to apply that verse to your life. Finally, I want to close with this. See yourself as an evangelist and discipler of your children. Yes, you need to bring them to church. Yes, you need to bring them to youth group. Yes, you need to take them to Christian concerts. You need to expose them to spiritual heroes, heroes in the culture that are also believers. This is so important, but the only clear biblical pattern for children's religious education is the family and parents. Uh, years ago, I, taught a, I did a class on evangelizing your children and someone who was, uh, had, had been a leader in the church for some time and held several different leadership roles came up to me afterward and said to me, I never thought about that. I was shocked, and I realized I had failed to disciple him properly. Uh, he had uh, th- uh, hit more than one child, and he had a son in particular who was almost 13. And he said, uh, I've never talked to him about his salvation. And so he went home and asked him, are you a Christian? And the son said, I don't even know if I'm a Christian or not. So I realized, wow, it's not a given that people understand that the primary disciple is their parent. Now let me tell you, let me close this message, and uh, uh, let me close this message by telling you about my mother and I. Especially my mother. My dad was uh, very important in my life, and my dad was uh, uh, a thinker. He was he had a college degree. He would read constantly, especially the Bible. He would make little notes. You could go by the chair where he was sitting. There'd be all these notes he had written. There's biblical insights, and he loved to talk Bible and, and philosophy about life. And I learned to be a critical thinker to what extent I am. I learned it from my dad. Very important part of my life. My mother, on the other hand, my mother was not well-read, My mother did not even have a high school diploma. But she had, I I would say it in the old-fashioned way, she had the Holy Ghost. She was the one who knew how to capture the teachable moment and create the teachable moment. She was the one who would hear from God. One One day she was in prayer, and she had a picture of money in a drawer. The drawer she realized in her image came to her was my brother's clothes drawer. And she goes to the drawer, opens the drawer, looks in, and there's the money that she saw in a vision. And she goes to my brother and discovered that he had been stealing from my dad's restaurant. I mean, one day, one day she felt prompted of the Holy Spirit to go down to the park near our house. And she goes in the park and she sees my brother from the back. And she sees smoke trailing up. <laughs> he was a young teenager and he was down there smoking. And I could tell you many more stories about my mother in Revelation. <laughs> but the main thing about my mother, the main thing about my mother is she loved the Word of God and she used it to disciple her children. Both my brother and I have full-time ministry our whole lives. She must have done something that affected that outcome. One day, I remember, I've told this story a couple of times before, but I'll share it again. I was having a rough time as a young teenager, and I was doing something rebellious, and the knock came on my door. My mother's standing there and walks in with the Bible open, and she's got it open to Isaiah 57, and it reads like this, verse 17. And he went on 
frowardly, a word we don't use anymore, but it means rebelliously, in the way of his heart. But I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. She closed the Bible, turned and walked out, closed the door. I would rather have had a beating than that. But I want to tell you, I want to show you something else she did. When I was six years old, my mother was not going to leave my decision to be a Christ follower up to the children's church people or the people down at the church. Now, in those days, in those days, we used a, uh, a method of teaching or, or a tool. We used a teaching tool called a flannel graph. How many have ever seen a flannel graph? Hey, a few people have seen a flannel graph. So I'll never forget, I'm six years old. And, and uh, she, she would use this for a few different stories. But our couch at home, our couch at home, uh, our couch at home was like fuzzy, and it worked like a flannel. So these little images would stick to it. So my mother, here's a typical thing my mother would do. And I remember her doing this when I was six, something like this. It's been a long time, so it's 60 years. So I remember real well. She would say, Phil... Here's your heart, black with sin. <laughs> Let's see, where'd I put Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, is he, is he Jesus on the floor? Oh, here he is. Here's Jesus. I found him. <laughs> and she would say, but Jesus came, fell, little fell. Jesus came, and he died on the cross. To wash your heart in his blood. Right? You with me so far? This is, I don't know how fast you are, you're thinking. (laughs) And Phil, if you will trust Christ... He will make your heart as white as snow. And someday Jesus will return. And you will spend eternity with him in heaven. Now, Phil, do you want to be a Christian? (laughs) You know what I said? No. All preachers have had a failed altar call, a failed <laughs> but, but the following Sunday night, after she told me the gospel story, and I, th- I think she told it more than once, but uh, Pastor Earl J. Rogers at our church, where she took us, she took us to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, every week. And if there was a revival, we went... Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. You know the days of the week. I, I guess you're pretty bright that way. But, uh, but I, I remember Pastor O.J. Rogers, who, who was at the church one year less than I've been at this one. 30, 32 years he was the pastor for gospel in McKinney, Texas. A great, wonderful man. But he, he preached, and he gave the invitation to come receive Christ. And I remember... My mother had already convinced me. So I went to the end of the pew and went back and sat down. Second Sunday night, I got it in the pew and I went on down. And David Rogers, his son, met me at the altar. 
and my life was changed forever because of it. And, and those pastors thought they did it, but they didn't. Mama, she wasn't going to trust any pastor <laughs> to make her kids followers of Jesus. And she would say this, and don't get offended if you're, if you're in the garbage business, because garbage is big business now. Uh, but, but here's what my mother would say. Phil, I don't care if you're a garbage man, just so you are a Christian, just so you follow Jesus. Garbage, are very honor- garbage men, very honorable profession, so don't get offended. But, you know, what she lacked in uh, maybe intellect, and she wasn't a dumb person, but what she, what she lacked in formal training, I would say, or many of the tools that you would think would make you a great, make someone great, she made up for in intentionality, and she made up for in, in fervor, and she made up for in prioritizing something that when you think of it, it's the most important thing in life is whether you decide whether or not you're going to follow Christ, or whether you're not going to, you're going to receive eternal salvation. So I understand you're coming from different places, and, and I, I know telling a story like that is from a very different era, it's 1961, so it's a very different era, things were different then, all different. Don't get overwhelmed by the story and say, well, i got to do exactly like that. Get the principle behind it and figure out how God wants to make you as a parent and I will say as a grandparent how God wants to use you as a parent and a grandparent to be the primary movers for the power of God and the spirit of God and the shape of God and the likeness of Jesus Christ in the lives of your children the church is here to help you. The church is here to support you. The church is here to supplement you. The church is here to be your family and your extended family, especially for those of you who don't have the extended family. We're here to be that for you. But we cannot replace you. You are the one that God has called. And you are the one that God has commissioned to be the discipler and evangelist to your children. God bless you. You can ask my kids, I, um, especially my daughter has been, oh wow, bye-bye flannel graph. Um, my daughter has been horrified. I've told my kids many times that I love their dad more than I love them or that that's the more important relationship in my life, and they're mortified. Um, <laughs> but what I also tell them is I, I love your dad more in a different way, but my role as your mom, my responsibility as your mom, the call on my life as your mom is the most important in my life. And that my kids coming to know Christ and serving the Lord is the most important thing in my life that I'm trying to achieve. And and I, not through my own power that I can achieve it, but that I can disciple them and train them in the way that they should go as the word instructs. Um, so let's stand in this room and, you know, we, this is such a loaded topic of raising your kids to serve and know the Lord. Um, there's so many factors that are individual to your home and your family situation. Um, but I want to tell you, just like my grandmother, who I thankfully had the opportunity to know for uh, about the first nine years of my life, whatever you have, if your couch can stick flannel to it, 
whatever is in your mind, whatever is available to you, God will empower those things through the power of the Holy Spirit and leverage them toward your kid's best interest. Use those things to draw your kids to himself. If you say, you know what, we got a flannel graph, you know what, we got a car ride, you know what, we can put on this music, we're go- if the church is doing it, we're going, get in the car, and you just start to be intentional and saying, you know what, Lord, this is the focus. It's not about sports, it's not about them getting a scholarship, it's not about whatever thing that's in the world, it's about exposing my kids to the love of God so that they could understand who they are and who they were made to be by Him. God will honor you, and He will begin to empower whatever simple things you have available to you, amen? So let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for this group of people, the individuals represented, the homes represented, the families represented. You see each and every person in this room so specifically and individually. You know who they are. You know what their current circumstance is as it relates to raising kids or helping someone else to raise kids or being a grandparent. You just see through all the the things that are on the outside and you see all the way to the inside. I pray for that mom or dad in here today who's terrified who feels ill-equipped, who feels they're failing. God, I pray for that mom or dad or grandparent in here today who feels like they don't know where to begin to disciple their kids. I pray, God, that they would realize that they can start where they are, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. We'll show them the next step to take. I pray, God, that this house of worship, Bethany Community Church, would be a place where families are supported, are resourced, are prayed for, are encouraged, and given the opportunity to use the resources in this place to disciple their kids. We thank you so much, and we believe fully, God, that your plan for this house is that we are one family of God, but we are have individual homes that are healthy and are focused on serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.